0: This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton
1: and Jerem Jordan. How's it? BYU Sports Nation is live, your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Hope you're enjoying your June 9th, Wherever and however you're connected, great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with two-time NBA Jam champion on the Super Nintendo platform, that is, Jerem Jordan.
2: I'm trying to think. Uh, So I think three years ago we won it during the summer. Feels like we're way busier now. Uh, And then in 94, I played with my friend Jim in Vancouver, Washington, and we won at probably 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning, Friday night, uh, yeah it was very exciting <laughs> very exciting.
1: The question is how many times did you have to restart games so that you could finish undefeated
2: i don 't remember being that smart when I was little uh to well the undefeated part didn 't matter you know just winning you know just winning the ship, basically beating every team yeah. okay, That's how I, you win right
1: yes, you have the emulator you brought to our office. I bought one of those. I started playing college football ninety seven the other night and nice. determined that I was not going to restart any game. I was, was going to set the difficulty to mm. the hardest level yeah. and just play the season through. It did not go well
2: early. Oh, why, why set it to the hardest level? Like, why would you play 12 Power Fives a year? <laughs> why? Well, it's your choice. Have fun. Play it on, like, the medium level.
1: At least they had custom schedules going on in College Football 97. Yeah, and they had a playoff scenario that you could uh, manipulate into the system.
2: I was explaining to my wife the other day that pre-BCS 98 that one didn't play two unless it was just random champs from the conferences, just how dumb that was. I I think in 20 years we're going to be like, wait, we only had four teams in a playoff? I think we'll have eight at some point. Oh, please. But the point is that we're going to have college football, which is exciting. Evolving. It sounds like we're going to have college
1: football. Absolutely, and we will get to that. Uh, as the NCAA is pushing towards what we hope is a regular start to the college football season. Also on today's show lineup, what an opposing coach said about BYU football specifically under the guise of anonymity. And BYU basketball transfer Wyatt Lowell is a 6'10 guy, the best three-point shooter on the team now. He might be. Girl power and the best wear number 26 and our BYU top five legendary individual matchups. Here are today's BYU SN headlines.
2: The NCAA College Football Oversight Committee aims for a six-week calendar to start the 2020 football season on time. If this plan is approved, team workouts would begin around July 13th, perhaps for BYU July July 11th, because they play on Thursday, September 3rd. Uh, very exciting. That would give teams six weeks to prepare. They'd have a custom schedule. Typically, it's been about four. So this would give teams that didn't have a chance to no one, no one finished spring ball. Not a single team. You only had what a week, week and a half for practices, and then called it. So, I like this idea, and I love that they're trying to, they're going to vote soon on whether this is going to be the case because that means in about a month we would have fall camp starting.
1: Remember when we were discussing with Brett McMurphy the possibility of playing the college football season in March and April?
2: Yeah. Well, we didn't know how bad it would be, and frankly, we probably don't know how bad it is going to be. Uh, but let's figure it out, right? There have been teams that have started, pre- uh, you know, voluntary workouts. be always one of them. Alabama had several coronavirus cases, other t- positive tests. Other teams have as well. But it feels like we're figuring out how to handle that effectively, better, which is which
1: is great. We are learning more about the virus as the days go by.
2: I would I would hope so, right?
1: Some of it is making us wonder. Oh man, did we blow it out of proportion? But. Here we are. Hopefully uh, we're starting college football on time and people can stay healthy. Hey, guess what? If you're sick, stay home. It's just, no matter what you have. Shouldn't cold, that, flu, corona.
2: Like Jordan should have stayed home in the in the uh, you know flu game that was actually food poisoning. Yeah. Right? He was sick. Stay, stay, home. stay home.
1: Get out of here. What's your temperature? Stay
2: home. Yeah. Don't be a hero. Let's, let's go.
1: All of this football talk has us reminded that we are inching closer. Hit it.
2: Countdown to the youths. 86 days. This could really happen. That's exciting.
1: 86 days away. On to headline two. Former BYU volleyball standout Leo Durkin joining the NC State women's volleyball coaching staff as a volunteer assistant along with head coach. Luca Slabe, shout out to Luca. The two are reuniting after a significant time together in Provo. Durkin as a player, Slabe as then an assistant coach between 2015 and 2018. That was a remarkable run for BYU men's volleyball. All rise and shout. It's time for what's trending.
0: You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports
1: Nation. The 2020 Athlon College Sports Football Preview features an opposing coach under the guise of anonymity sizing up BYU's program, and we're going to dissect it all. Is it fair or not? Jerem, let's start with these comments from Coach Anonymous. Quote, their returning starting quarterback, Zach Wilson, might not be their best option. I think there's going to be a full-on race through camp, and they might make a change this season. With his injuries, Zach's, he kind of plateaued, end quote. Fair or not?
2: Okay, let's break it down. I think he's the best option. I think his ceiling is the highest. Granted, he's been given the largest opportunity, but that's because he won the job, right? He won the backup job by enrolling early out of high school with Tanner Mangum had a good spring and there were conversations about will there be a race Tanner Mangum won the job in full camp this is 2018 2019 yes uh Jaron Hall was coming off a redshirt year where he had played less than four games uh didn't do a ton so Zach was clearly the guy going into last year Zach was the guy he gets hurt Jaron Hall comes in has a couple of uh you know a uh, uh, game and a half of effective play Baylor Romney Comes in and uh, has an effective end of USF and Utah State. He comes off the bench and da-da-da. Zach Wilson comes back. Do you plateau when you – is it fair to say you plateau when you get hurt? No, I don't think that's fair. Uh, one, he's he's the best option. Two, there won't be a full-on race in camp. I don't believe that. I believe that BYU may say that, but I don't actually believe it. And then uh, three, with injuries, did he plateau? He had a broken thumb. He had to play against – Idaho State, and subsequently San Diego State, because Jaron Hall had two concussions in two games he should not have played, and Baylor Romney, unbeknownst to most, had turf toe. It wasn't like Baylor Romney could be the guy. You weren't going to play Joe Critchlow against top-ten defense San Diego State, so you play a I-can't-grip-the-ball-all-the-way version of Zach Wilson. So I I understand why these comments could be said, but I think the plateaued part is unfair. I don't think there will be a race, and I do think he's the best option. So I guess I don't agree with most of that comment.
1: Think about the last thing said there. With his injuries, he kind of plateaued. Is there any quarterback in America that wouldn't plateau with multiple injuries? So it's like, well, yeah, no, duh, he plateaued because he was hurt. Healthy Zach Wilson is the best option for BYU unless and and until he can't get the job done and Jaron Hall or Baylor Romney can do it better than him. I think healthy Zach Wilson is the best option until it's proved otherwise. Uh, Yeah, if Zach Wilson is injured, maybe Baylor Romney or Jaron Hall was the better option or would have been a better option later in the season, but BYU really didn't have the option to go to those guys because they're dealing with injuries. If all three are healthy – Until proven otherwise, Zach Wilson's the guy.
2: Jaron Hall might be, I I don't want to overstate this or understate it, I guess, but Jaron Hall might be one concussion away from not playing football at all. Like, having two and two games is dangerous. And this guy is a quality baseball player. That once he figures it out with the bat, there's no question about his ability to field. Once he figures it out more with the bat, this guy could play in the minors if he wanted. So that option is there. He may, he probably has a better opportunity to play professionally as a baseball player than a football player. It's just hard today to be a quarterback and get into the NFL. There's only so many jobs. There's a gajillion opportunities to play in baseball, right? So I, I'm interested to see where that goes.
1: The jury needs to hold off on judgment of Zach Wilson until he is healthy. Give him a fair shot with a full, healthy offseason and see what he can do. He went 18-for-18 18 18 with a torn rotator cuff, then began the repairs. Yeah. Now, if he can't get it done, well, then the excuses, well, they're for not. Okay? Well, there, there, are, there are no excuses.
2: We'll make up more. We'll say there were four power fives. There were three on the road. We'll make up more. Point but. being,
1: it's easy for the coaches to go to somebody else if they're like, well, he's healthy. He's had a full off season, and he's not getting it done. Then they can go to another quarterback.
2: Yeah. Okay, next comment. Uh, they're never going to surprise you. But they're going to play you really mean, really hard, and they have a tremendous home field advantage in Provo. They can level out some of the the middle-of-the-road P5s when they catch them at home.
1: Middle-of-the-road Power 5s, like USC. USC wasn't a middle-of-the-road Power 5 last year. I thought they were a good Power 5. But those are semantics. Uh, I agree that BYU will not surprise teams. Programs that come and play BYU or host BYU, they, they know what BYU football is about. The coaches say the same thing. They're tough. They're well-coached. They're disciplined. They're full of grown men. They're
2: older. They have
1: a mission advantage. Yep,
2: 18 and 21 in the last three years, that older advantage has really helped.
1: So, yeah, they're not going to surprise anyone, but the comment at the end makes me think, well, they can handle uh, some okay Power 5 teams, but they're never going to beat a great team. We'll see. We'll see. And, frankly, BYU's been better on the road against Power Fives than they have been at home in the Satake era. Kalani Satake didn't have a home signature win until last year against USC. It took almost four seasons to get it, and then he got another one against Boise State. So I, I think BYU's just as formidable on the road against Power Five teams. Let's
2: quantify what you're saying. Uh, since 2016, BYU's 5-5 five and five in Power Five road games at home, 2-6. and six. BYU's better on the road. So I, here's what I want. I want BYU to play. 12 power fives, all on the road. <laughs> no, I don't. Let's, let's talk about hey, it. So, three
1: of the four uh, to start out the season on the road, James. Yes. Yeah.
2: Stack it up, baby. When I walk into a weight room, I want to do my max weight immediately with no warm-up. Watch let's out,
1: go. Utah, Minnesota, and Arizona State.
2: Okay, so never going to surprise you. Was Keaton Slovis surprised when Kairos Tonga threw him to the ground? Was that four-star corner surprised when former walk-on Dax Milne caught the ball on a perfectly placed pass from three-star Zach Wilson? Was USC surprised to walk out with the loss to BYU? Was Tennessee surprised when sixty-four-yard Micah Simon gets down the field and BYU outmuscles a SEC defensive line on their home field into the end zone, into the checkered end zone for a win? I dare say they were surprised. BYU can surprise you. Is home field that great for BYU? The last four years, BYU fourteen and ten. That's fifty-eight percent at home. That's not good. That's in fact, I'd call that bad for BYU. On the road, BYU is winning forty-six percent of games. Twelve percent difference. There's not a massive difference, right? Uh, I would argue between BYU at home and BYU on the road, and and in terms of uh, quality Power Five road wins. If BYU beats that team, they weren't that good, right? Let's look at it. Twenty sixteen, Arizona three and nine, Michigan State three and nine. I'm talking Power Five road wins. Twenty eighteen, Arizona five and seven, Wisconsin eight and five. That's a good team. That's a good team, but it's not like. It's not like a ten-win team. you always not going to win that game, well, but it still I love ended a I streak. I love that I love a, a win over an eight-win team on the road. I, I think it's good, but I could see if an anonymous person's like, "Well, Wisconsin ended up being middle of the road." I I get that. And Then Tennessee was eight and five, uh, middle-ish of the road of the SEC, right? Uh, but those are good wins. Anytime you beat a power five team on the road, good win, right? Good win. If they yes. won eight. To me, that's really good. If, they, if that team wins 10 or something, you don't end up winning the game because that team's good.
1: Then they're delving into the best wins in BYU football history.
2: Right. Because when Utah State in 20, uh, you know, what year, 2012 ends up being one of the top 10 wins by final AP rank, that tells you how hard it is to beat actual good teams. Listen, most of you think uh, in, in this way, and we all do. What, but what was it in the moment? I like looking at when the dust settled, was that team any good? And if they were that good, BYU probably didn't win the game, right? In 2001, we're going to explore this in a future date, BYU didn't play a lot of good teams, so they went 12-0, and and then they finally played a team that ended up 9-3 and and 10-2, and and BYU loses those games. Luke Staley broke his leg as well, I'm aware. But if BYU wins the game... Uh, On the road against the Power 5 team, that team probably doesn't end up being that good. That's why BYU can go and win the game. Pitt, 1984, number three. They were 3-7-1 when the dust settled. Like They didn't end up being that good. So go and win the games you can win. And then maybe sneak one that you didn't think you'd get. And then sometimes, and this is a variable, you change the fate of the other team. It's not a
1: perfect science. Let's
2: talk about it with Oklahoma. Colby Claussen ends the season... For Sam Bradford, that makes Oklahoma not a 10, 11, 12, or 13-game winner. Correct. And makes them an 8-game winner.
1: Bradford one. still played the whole first half.
2: And BYU did that. But that's an 8-win Oklahoma team with Landry Jones, who ends up top 5 in NCAA history in passing yards. Went and to the NFL. the NFL with the Steelers. So, there's that.
1: Yeah, it's not a perfect science. So, uh, while we want it to be, it's just not. Because the Tennessee win, while it was exciting and fun, it was perceived as... Well, they stink because they just lost to Georgia State, and BYU mm-hmm. had to take them to double overtime. So congratulations, Cougars. You just beat the team that lost to Georgia State on their home field. Who's
2: speaking here? Okay. A Utah fan?
1: And then all of a sudden, Tennessee goes on a run and wins eight games, it's like, that win got better. So it's, and it trends why, in the opposite direction.
2: That's why I love looking at it when the dust settles. Was that team better than you thought or worse than you did
1: thought? Did BYU set Tennessee off by beating them again? Did Georgia State and BYU— Changed the course of Tennessee's season. Did they awaken the
2: beast? Perhaps, right? Like, like I kind of blame Jim Fredette for Gonzaga being so good. You know what I mean? Like, Gonzaga goes, oh, my gosh. We we just got blown out by BYU. And then all of a sudden, they're a top five program a couple years later. Now
1: they're I, consistently top they, one program. They
2: are to credit for that, you know, almost completely. But I think part of that was, oh, boy, we are going to have to deal with BYU.
1: Next comment from Coach Anonymous. And I quote, The questions inside this program are, when are we going to take that next step? But I think the question outside of it is, why do they think they can do the same things the same ways and get different results? Every year, this is a roster that's one of the better-looking G5s on paper.
2: How offensive is that?
1: And they can reach up and beat a P5. But they're not athletic or deep enough to look like the P five they think they can be. They just aren't. End <sighs> quote.
2: Okay, this one's hot and heavy, right? Um I agree with that. I just agree with that. I, I think an in independence BYU thought that they could carry over what they did. Oh six, seven, eight, nine, eleven. Um eleven's an independent year, right? But the schedule's not tough. BYU wins ten games. Great, awesome. Um Yes, BYU wants to be a Power 5 equivalent, and they are in many ways. But the one that matters the most is results. And this is my schedule thing. BYU wants to be look like a Power 5 program, and is playing a lot of Power 5s. And I hear from a lot of you, well, if we want to be in a Power 5 conference, we have to play a bunch of Power 5s. No, you don't. No one's going to get it. No one would have had an invite to uh, Power Five League if they had played these kind of schedules because your true colors would be revealed. Guess what? When you're dating, you put on your best face. Your schedule is a little easier initially, right? And then hopefully you're just a good person. You're not fake, but you're trying to be your best self to impress someone, right? BYU should be trying to impress a suitor to get into a power five league winning is certainly part of that equation I just think it's tough when you play too tough of a schedule too stacked at the beginning four power fives in a row by the way BYU doing that as the only team in the country again this year I think it makes it tough um and I agree BYU isn't deep enough to look like a decent power five when Tyson Williams goes down the rushing game is affected when Zach Wilson goes out um, you know, it was a different. It was a different result. Like Jaron Hall did a really good job at South Florida, but BYU should have still won that game, right? Even, even uh, unfortunately, you have to bring in your third string. It's tough. Toledo, BYU's got to win that game, right? I, I, I agree with a lot of that comment.
1: Well, what kind of a Power Five is this anonymous coach comparing BYU to, wanting to be? Because I look at the middle to lower tier Power Fives, Arizona.
2: Uh, Iowa State. No, Iowa State's better. They're like top 25 right now.
1: Okay, well, over the course of history, like, sure, they're trending in the right direction. But I'm looking at some of these middle-tier Power 5 teams, and I think absolutely BYU could hang with the middle-tier Power 5 and
2: What teams. does that mean? Like go I think 4 and 5 in league or they're something? They're just
1: as athletic. And uh, the deep enough conversation is interesting because BYU has sustained injuries to – their studs. It's not like, hey, they lost a fullback or somebody on the offensive line. While BYU did lose those positions in Independence and have had to delve into the depth, it's quarterback year after year. It's star star running backs, star receivers. Like it's just crazy. Not all injuries are created equal. And we'll
2: just address the injuries a little bit later as well. Okay, yeah. so
1: I think BYU is athletic enough at the start, assuming health. But if you lose your quarterback and your star running back within the first few weeks of the season, how in the world are you going to be expected to win 10 or 11 games against that difficult of a schedule?
2: Well, and to be a decent power five, you're not winning 10 or 11. You're winning seven, eight, nine. To your point, the power fives aren't the issue, the group of fives. If you're a just decent power five, you aren't going sub 500 against group fives. You just aren't, right? I I think BYU could easily be – Uh, a middle-of-the-pack, power five. I think they need to adjust some things, right? I think they need to figure some things out. Injuries are notable. Obviously, the schedule is notable and whatnot. I think BYU has the right players to do it. They just need to figure it out. And that's what's been frustrating. It's like, can we just be an eight-plus win program every year? Because I don't like looking at four, seven, and seven wins the last three years. That bothers me.
1: If Taysom Hill stays healthy. And let's, fingers crossed, if Zach Wilson stays healthy. I want to see what BYU can do. If they have a quarterback start every game, the same quarterback start every game in the regular season. If BY then and we're like, oh, BYU won nine games. Well, well, well. They kept the quarterback healthy. I, I, I want Zach to stay healthy just so we can re we can address all this and see like what kind of a difference that makes to keep your stud quarterback healthy all season.
2: Well yeah, let's let's figure it out. The the controllable there.
1: Our question of the day. What are your reactions to any of the comments on BYU football from Anonymous coach. Any guesses to who it is? (laughs) You don't have to answer that question. (laughs) Not not on the air, I don't. (laughs) Let's go to Voice of the Nation.
0: This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation.
1: First response in from Matt Gunnell Brad. Dead on with everything except BYU not surprising anyone. They can surprise you on any given Saturday for good or bad. See, win, (laughs) at Wisconsin, USC, Boise State at Tennessee. See also losses against UMass, the Hawaii Bowl, Northern Illinois. True. True. All true. Know something about those uh, top teams? All power fives. Bottom of row, uh, all group of fives.
2: That's the idea. Mm. Coming up, the best way number 26 takes us to the diamond.
1: And Wyatt Lowell of BYU basketball. How he got better during his redshirt season and why he wanted to follow Mark Pope to BYU. This is BYU Sports Nation.
2: BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Yo, Friday, the BYU Center Reviewables are back. Friday, June 12th, we'll deep dive into the 1980-81 BYU men's basketball team. The greatest team in program history. They went to the Elite Eight Danny Ainge National Player of the Year. It's this Friday on BYU Sports Nation.
1: We are live in Studio B, and this is your day to day BYU Sports play by play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. Time to bring in our first guest of the day on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline via Zoom. He is BYU sophomore forward sharpshooter Wyatt Lowell. Wyatt, welcome back to BYU Sports Nation.
0: Thank you for having me. It's good to see you, Spencer. Hey,
2: Jeremy. Yeah, I was like, "Hey, what and about Jerem. me, man?
1: What's, and- what's going uh, on?" Wyatt? I mean, oh, I kind of like about you, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What's been the best and worst part about the last three months for you? And I say three months—that's a rough timeline as far as social distancing and quarantine measures and no sports. How, how have you made the most of this thing?
0: Let's see. Best thing: uh, my family recently moved up here from Arizona, so mm-hmm. I've had a lot of time to be around them. And then also. Uh, been having some good time with a close friend of mine, or the girl that I'm dating. So that's been good.
2: Okay. <laughs> and, and our audience knows the girls you're dating. Do you want to say the name or not? I,
0: I think they do pretty well. Uh, Alyssa Jefferson on the soccer team. Yeah, she's uh-huh. that soccer player.
2: She's she's uh, but- really good at the soccer, and she's a great person too.
0: <laughs> She'll be a better soccer player than I ever was. Not solo player.
2: Let's hold MDs. off that judgment. You're going into your in sophomore year, right? Like you could still be that's really right. good
0: that's right she was legit but uh the worst part obviously just all that work from the retro year and then just putting that on hold not being able to get into the gym like we were before so that's probably just the worst part in my opinion and the terrible things happening in the world
2: (laughs) yeah it's it's certainly been uh you know awful to see what COVID 19 has done and it's it's just paused life right so uh yeah here here we are now in uh june so what are you up to now
0: So we just recently started our voluntary workouts here. So that's been amazing coming back with the guys and we're in small groups and we got all our procedures and stuff, but that's pretty much where we're at now. Uh, Just trying to get back to getting better every day.
2: How did you handle uh, sitting out a year? Because you played uh, as, a, as a freshman at Utah Valley with Mark Pope. You come over, you mm-hmm. sit out. It was an amazing season. You're part of that team. You don't play in the games, but you're part of that team as a redshirt, right? So what was that experience like, and how has that helped you for what will be your what, redshirt sophomore year? Yep. I
0: mean, of course, I was just insanely happy for the guys watching all the success that they had and, I mean, all the amazing experiences that they had together. But I mean, personally, like I just I hated just sitting on the sidelines and showing up to practice every day and battling with the guys and not being able being able to actually go play. So that was for sure the hardest part, just not being able to play. And after having tasted what it's like to be on the court and knowing how so how fun it is, uh, that's obviously just the hardest part. Um, but yeah,
1: Wyatt Lowell with us on BYU Sports Nation. Wyatt, where and how did you get better? as a basketball player during your Redshirt campaign?
0: oh, That's a great question. I love talking about that. The biggest thing was my body. Uh, Coming back from the mission was, for me, just super hard with my body. But over the Redshirt year, I was able to gain 15 pounds of muscle and get so much quicker and so much stronger. So that, for me, just completely changed everything. It's helped me. In every aspect of my game, like I just feel so much more confident if I can do so many more things. So that for sure was the biggest thing. But then also, just being able to show up every day in practice and not have the stress of having to perform in a game, I just had to show up and get better and compete with the guys. So really, those two things for me were just helped me tons.
2: Is there a switch that you'll have to flip as you now have the pressure to perform? Like you said, oh, it's nice to not have that per se, mm-hmm. but do you feel like uh, that will take a minute to, hey, I'm back in a game for the first time in a year?
0: I I for sure think that. I think I, I have a tendency to, to get on myself, and so it'll be hard to readjust to that. So I think it'll definitely be a learning process, like you said.
1: Well, you are part of uh, what is quickly becoming a transfer nation at BYU, <laughs> okay? Uh You I have – Move from so. Utah Valley to BYU along with your former teammate, Richard Harward. Matt Harms is coming in. Alex Barcelo is a transfer. Gideon George, Gideon, I mean,
2: Spencer Johnson. Like half the roster. <laughs> yeah, most of yeah, the guys, right? Jesse is. Wade it was. If, him, if yeah. not a
1: majority. Uh, what is it about wanting to play specifically for Mark Pope that you, you're willing to follow him to BYU or a transfer wants to leave their program and come to BYU?
0: Yeah, I think that's good. I think it's different for everybody. But for me personally – the two things that really uh, really stood out to me was, one, he's, he's done what I, what I hope to do. I mean, I, I want to make it to the NBA, and he's, he's done it, so he knows what it takes. And so for me, listening to somebody that's done it is a big deal. Like, I just, I can really trust him. And then just the energy, the, the, the fight to win, and the desire, and just how good it feels here. Like, those two things, to me, were just unbeatable in every aspect.
2: Let's talk about you as a player. So, here we are. You know, hopefully, just a couple months away from seeing you playing games in the Marriott Center, which is going to be awesome. So, you're six ten. You're not a front court player. You're a back court player, right? Uh, you're a shooter. Mm-hmm. De- describe your game, and then there's some questions, I guess, for people who maybe haven't seen you play about your handle. Can you handle the ball? Are you a three? Are you a stretch four? Where do you fit in all this?
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think the best way to put it, how I've always put it, is just being a mismatch, a mismatch nightmare. Um, I growing up was always taught how to dribble and how to be a guard, but also how to post up. I mean, if I'm taller than everybody, I might as well be able to do that. So I know that I think when a lot of people hear six six ten or six nine, I'm actually six nine with shoes off, but you know, whatever. But when they hear that, they think, Oh, well he probably can't do those things. But I mean I'm I'm not the quickest guy on the court, but I like to think for my size when I match up against those kind of guys that I can, I can handle it on my own. And I can't, I, I have been like, learned how to dribble. And that was the big thing. This redshirt year, oh, as I talked about my body getting a lot stronger, college is a lot more physical than high school, like leaps and bounds. So I had to adjust to that and learn how to take contact while handling a ball. And so I feel like I've just come so far with those things. And so really at the end of the day, whoever my defender is, I'm just going to exploit their weaknesses and do the things that I can do, whether that is shoot, or, shoot over them, go around them, post them up. Yeah, that's kind of if I were to explain my game, that's how I would put it.
2: We just showed uh, you scoring nine points against BYU uh, for Utah <laughs> Valley. What's that like having played against BYU on that court? and Now you're with the Cougars. That's got to be weird a little bit.
0: <laughs> it is definitely weird. I don't think a lot of people really get to do that, but I mean, love U and his a great experience and I love that place but I mean you step into the Marriott Center and it's like there's just no place like it the best fans in the world and so it was fun being there playing against BYU but I think it's going to be even more surreal of an experience being on the court playing for BYU and having those fans so I'm excited it's going to be great
2: scoring on Yoli Childs we just saw that that's fun <laughs> Bat, little, little yeah, backdoor cut for a lamp. yeah that's pretty fun
1: I'm sure you're reminded of it uh, daily in practice. Uh, perhaps a conversation <laughs> for another we, day. We
2: didn't show any highlights <laughs> in that game either. Let's just be fair. Yeah, exactly. Wyatt Lowell with us on
1: BYU Sports Nation. 37.6% uh, from the three-point line uh, during the season of highlights that we just watched. Uh, you clearly like to shoot the long ball. Where do you rank among the three-point shooters at BYU right now?
0: Oh, asking for my opinion, I mean, I just... I feel like I have to say me because I just, that's basketball. You got to be confident in yourself. But I mean, Alex Barcello, like he was one of the top shooters in the nation last year. And then we got some other guys coming in that are great shooters. So really at the end of the day, I'm pretty confident that we have a lot of guys that can make shots. And I think that's what matters at the end of the day.
2: I really hope that at some point there's the following lineup in the game, just for height purposes. That Connor Harding is running the point. That you're sliding over at the two. <laughs> that Gavin Baxter and Richard Harwood and Matt Harms are in the game as well. So that'd be what Man. six nine, six nine, and seven three. That'd be that'd be That's, amazing, right? Just like just for a uh, minute.
0: Just for something, just to see what it's like. That's got to be like a record or something. We just got to try it out.
2: <laughs> Way too tall, right? Okay, every. Tell us about Richard Harwood. Everyone says that. Uh, you know, he is an amazing post player and tremendous defender and bruiser and has an ama- Des- Describe what you see from him as a former teammate at, at UVU and now BYU.
0: I mean, all those things that you just said, I would echo. Like, he just works his butt off. He's so skilled with his hands and his feet, and he's so big but mobile at the same time, which makes him kind of unique. Um, but I think one thing that hasn't been said a lot is just how great of a teammate he is. He just really is the best teammate ever uh he is always just like pumping guys up and he's always just having a good attitude and he uh is willing to put others before himself which i think is kind of rare and so i think all those things that you mentioned are clearly his best qualities but i think that's something that i also really admire about him
2: has he ever elbowed you in the face or fouled you really hard he seems like that (laughs) he seems he seems like that guy
0: Playing him in one-on-one is almost a death wish. He's he's got some mean elbows and a mean, like, shoulder, so I definitely just get tossed around, and he just kills me, but that's just
2: kind of how he plays. You got to drag him outside, though, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that
1: said, he's been credited with toughening up even Yoli Childs and Kobe oh, yeah. Lee and doing those things for the big guys last year. So, I mean, what was happening in practice? What were you witnessing to help those guys get better because of Richard Harwood's contributions as a redshirt?
0: I mean, exactly like what you just said. He just would show up every day and just like, I mean, obviously those those two players, Kobe and Yoli, are great players. But Yoli just didn't, I mean, not Yoli, uh, Richard just didn't care and he just went at them. And I think because of that every day, those two got better because of him. And so he just, like I said, is just a bruiser and just loves to compete.
1: Why it's great to catch up with you, man. Uh, it's been a while, so uh, let's talk again soon. Not wait so long. Let's give you some karma uh, for your voluntary workouts as you push forward, and uh, more importantly, tell, tell Alyssa hi for yeah, us. Yeah, ma- ma- maybe for uh, the matchup you have with Alyssa Jefferson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on here. I love talking it. to you guys. Good to see thanks, you, thanks, Wyatt.
1: Uh, good stuff from Wyatt Lowell on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how.
2: Always good to have. And he said, "I'm actually six nine, right?" Um, I think Jimmer was six foot or six one without shoes. He was six two width, so we call it width shoes. I think. I don't know. Is that wait? I've always wanted to be taller than six foot. Am I six one or two now? If my basketball <laughs> playing height, what? I no. I'm excited about Wyatt Lowell. I'm excited to see what he can do because he was the WAC Freshman of the Year um, at UVU. Average five points per game in in league play, which is interesting to be the WAC freshman of the year, but he shot the ball so well and showed up. uh, I'm excited to see what he can contribute. Okay, coming up, more from an anonymous opponent assistant coach on BYU's secondary and injuries.
1: And the best to ever wear number 26 within BYU athletics, girl power, BYU Sports Nation.
2: On the latest BYU Sports Nation right now. It's time to celebrate National Best Friend Day. Hey, Spence, with some besties from BYU Athletics because what says friendship more than matching costumes or dancing in the dugout? Check it out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube via BYU TV Sports.
1: So when was that BYU Sports Nation?
2: Right now. Oh, okay. Okay.
1: He is Hey. I am Spencer. And this is BYU Sports Nation right now.
2: Let's not mix the streams. (laughs) Have you seen Ghostbusters? Yeah, can get ugly. Uh,
1: before that, let's whip it.
2: It's time for the Cougar Around Football. The NCAA College Football Oversight Committee aims for a six-week calendar to start the 2020 football season on time. What? Yes. If this play – yes. Charles Oakley. If this plan is approved, team workouts would begin around July 13th, perhaps July 11th for BYU, since the opening game is two days earlier than most on a Thursday, giving the team six weeks to prepare for the season. I'm just thinking, Volleyball.
1: I'm just thinking about random 90s NBA players.
2: Oh, the I, store I, Oh, dude, yes. I can I play this game all day. I love it. That's <laughs> my favorite game, Della Strip.
1: Former BYU volleyball standout Leo Durkin is joining the NC State Women's Volleyball Coaching Staff as a volunteer assistant, now with the head coach and former BYU assistant Lucas Slabit. To Bird reuniting... Fleming. After significant time together at BYU between 2015 and 2018.
2: Olden Polonese. Olden Polonese. Ronnie
1: Cycli. Kevin Duckworth.
2: Kevin du- Do you want me to name all the Blazers on the 92 Finals team? Let's go, baby. <laughs> yes. I, 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 NBA TV just did a uh, doc on them. It was really fun to watch.
1: Yeah. Oh, maybe we should do the best to ever wear it with random NBA players in the 90s. No, that that seems like too much of a project. Okay,
2: in church, you know, trying to pay attention, but me and a roommate, we would just write like random NBA, '90s NBA players to each other, and then mm-hmm. just the whole time. I have a lot of strong religious feelings, but there <laughs> were that ward. It was a struggle during the summer, you know.
1: Just don't leave Danny Shays off the list, okay? Danny,
2: <laughs> Danny Shays. <laughs>
1: Nuggets, <laughs> Bring on the best to wear it, BYU edition. We're counting up to 99. Yep, still doing it. One number each show and determining the best athlete to wear each number at BYU. Today, we hit, hit being the operative word, number
2: 26. Nick Van Exel. Nope. Lexi Tarot of softball. Mountain West Conference, uh, excuse me, West Coast Conference Player of the Year in 2019. She was awesome, man. Senior year really shined. All Pacific region as well. First-team-all, first-teamer, uh, two-time first-teamer in the WCC. Number five in triples at BYU. Triples at softball is a really hard thing to do, by the way. She had seven. The, the field is just smaller. Uh, it's 60 feet. Right? It's just hard to get a triple. She was fast. Career stats hit 333, repeating, of course. Uh, had a set 178 hits, 85 RBIs. Mm. Excellent in the field as well. Lexi Taro, softball. You called her game. She was really, really good. Oh, so
1: fun. And it's one thing to be a fast, versatile player, but she packed power. Mm-hmm. So that was We a saw one of the homers. Yeah, that was a unique combination for uh, a softball player to be that good and have the five
2: tools, Jerem. Five-tool player, man. You, know,
1: you, you can be fast, but when you're powerful and fast, yeah. watch out. I also loved uh, the play on words with her last name. You know, and during softball games, sometimes you got to whip hey, at hey, those.
2: Give me one. Give me a home run call with your last the, name. Let's hear it. The tarot
1: cards say good <laughs> things are in BYU's future.
2: Nice. <laughs> Coming up. Like I said, there is. Is that a BYU thing? Coming know. up. Top five matchups. What's better than Jimmer versus Kawhi? Let's and, go.
1: And we continue with Coach Anonymous. What he says about BYU's secondary specifically. And it doesn't mean that that he's right is BYU Sports Nation.
2: Eldon Camel, Antoine Carr. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. To get to know the players, coaches, and some compelling fan stories, search Deep Blue on the BYU TV app today. All 23 from last season are available on demand.
1: Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation in Studio B. We continued our 1990s NBA random player conversation during the break. Rory Sparrow is one. Rory Sparrow.
2: <laughs> that is an excellent one. Wow. Rolando Blackman.
1: Oh, solid. Now uh, on to more important things. The comments from Coach Anonymous in the Athlon Sports 2020 college football preview, specifically of BYU sizing up the Cougars. He says the following about the BYU secondary and defense specifically. Quote, they were really banged up in the secondary. There's potential here. It's really all about their health on defense.
2: I agree. Let's talk about it. So Zane Anderson, Troy Warner, and Chris Wilcox are all back. Uh, Zane got hurt at the beginning of the year, didn't play a ton. Uh, Troy Warner and Chris Wilcox came in in the final four games so they could maintain a redshirt. And they are all back. And they bring a ton of experience, which brings us to a stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Zane Anderson, Troy Warner, and Chris Wilcox return a combined 106 games played. That's pretty good. Yeah. Other combined stats, 283 tackles, 5.5 tackles for loss, 3 picks, 3 forced fumbles, 5 fumble recoveries, and 25 passes broken up. I think the secondary could be a strength for BYU because they have some really good corners they like as well. So Anderson and Warner, in theory, you could say, okay, those are two starters at safety. Chris Wilcox is at one corner, and then I like the I like the young dudes they have bringing in. Yeah, that, that have been here. Isaiah
1: Heron, D'Angelo Mandel has had some nice experience at corner as well.
2: Yes, and then you have other like George Udo and Dimitri Gallo. And now Micah Harper comes in as J.C. J.C. Guy. Transfer. And, and I'm missing, uh, you know, several other names. I, I like the group. I really do. Linebacker, I think BYU's loaded. My, my question is on the D-line. Can they get a pass rush with four? Because we've been hearing 4-3 might be a thing, or 4-2-5 might be a thing. Can BYU get a pass rush with four? If they can, now they're in business. Now you can do something that isn't seven wins in a season. In Kairos, we trust, right? I want Kyrus to play all three downs. That's the next step for him. We've seen what he can do. Kyrus currently isn't a you know top four or five rounds pick. He could become that. Yeah. I dare say easily. You know, I, I'm excited to see him play and develop that way. But he didn't go into the draft because he wasn't going to be a high enough pick. That means he has some work to do. And let's see it play out. Let's see an amazing senior year from Kyrus Tonga.
1: And, you know, let's, uh, let's let Coach Satake and uh, his assistants do some work with that defensive line. They were heralded for developing defensive linemen. Yeah. Grugers,
2: um, uh, Starlo Tulele, among others. Now,
1: now is a better time than ever to uh, prove the doubters wrong, right?
2: Yeah, well, yesterday and the future are, aren't as important as uh, right now.
1: And losing Devin Kafusi only hurts the depth at that position.
2: Right. And, yeah, I want to know what happened there. We still don't know, like, why? Why did that happen? So, yeah,
1: the the secondary, it was banged up. I mean, I think Austin Lee not playing cost BYU the bowl game. It's as simple as that. I'm not kidding. I think one player makes a difference for
2: BYU. Oh, we could make all kinds of reasons or excuses. Hawaii doesn't score that many points if Austin Lee
1: is playing safety.
2: For each loss, I could give you one sentence of excuse slash reason. Yeah, yeah. We'll do that tomorrow. How about that? The
1: experience is back. It's good to have those guys (laughs) help. What
2: happened? Yeah. (laughs) The last... Three or four seasons in a sentence in that game. Yeah, okay, here we go. Last comment from the anonymous uh, coach. Who are you? You think maybe they've got issues with conditioning only because you see a lot of their guys go down. They've definitely been hit a bit hard by the injury bug while Sataki has been there. And after a while, you take a look and see if you're causing any
1: of that. Mm. Well, I can guarantee you that BYU has taken a good, long, hard look at the injury predicaments and what's happening. And if they don't make but, some type of fundamental what? change, then what's happening, mm-hmm. you know, and then it goes back to the previous comment from coach anonymous of why do they think they can keep doing the same things and get a different result? So I would be shocked that there are not, are not significant fundamental changes to the way BYU is doing strength and conditioning just based off of what has happened. I, even for just, I need some good mojo. You know, we just need to switch up the routine. Even though I thought that was a good thing, uh, we need something different to see if this will help our guys stay healthy for longer. Uh, because right now it seems like there are some issues there.
2: But oh, definitely. So the, the, being the injuries, I how many injuries are controllable? So let's say the strength and conditioning uh, team did something amazing. Guys will still get hurt. Yes. So I, does Tyson Williams tear his ACL? No matter what, no matter how well conditioned or strengthened, nourished and strengthened. Yeah. Well, and he, he came is with the going into a season,
1: and he he had issues already. So. Is
2: it, Taysom Hill is like the most ripped dude in BYU history. Yet he had four season-ending injuries. Are we blaming? Taysom's physical ability there or is it just random is he so strong that he's ripping things uh you know bones uh, from ligaments on his body? like what did he not drink enough milk like what what's the controllable element here I think some injuries are just going to happen no matter what absolutely I do think that if uh you battle teams that are really tough physically that you are perhaps more prone to injuries later I can't quantify that I can't say that with you know 100% certainty but it feels like that's the case I know Lance Reynolds expressed that sentiment going into 09 of oh man we're playing some tough teams at the beginning we might be banged up Oklahoma and Florida State in the first couple of weeks I agree with that idea I can't quantify you know exactly what that means but what we're addressing is not the 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 variable but the controllable is there something that the strength and conditioning staff can do to help the guys? And at the end of the season, we can't go back and go, hey, you know who didn't get hurt because they were in shape? This guy. Yeah, like, it's I, because
1: they did this. Right.
2: I wish that we had that, but uh, – You know, the strength and conditioning staff has what they want to do, and they squat a lot, right? And they do certain things. They want to build strength. They lift a ton. And in 2014, we applauded BYU. It was a different staff, right, strength and conditioning. But we felt like, oh, they were a fourth-quarter team. They were making these comebacks. We attributed it to the strength and conditioning coach. But we don't attribute that injuries to them now, and I don't think that would be completely fair. Right.
1: And in the terms of our – in the case of Taysom Hill, I mean, three of those happened against Utah State.
2: (laughs) just – Two are the same player, by the way. Does everyone know just this? stupid. I mean, Jamal the Williams same got player. hurt in
1: Murfreesboro, Tennessee because he took a random just stupid hit to the knee.
2: Right. Location has nothing to do with injuries. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: Yeah, and sometimes the opponent has nothing to do with it. You- like, right. whether it's a Power 5 As, opponent or a Minnesota Seas player, hitting the knee in that yes. position is going to do
2: that. Some, and sometimes there's non contact injuries. It's just your yeah. body fails, right? Coming up, today's Rise and Shadow. Plus, it is Top 5 Tuesday the top five legendary
1: matchups of individuals mm. featuring at least one BYU athlete. This is BYU Sports Nation. Good list, man. This segment of BYU Sports Nation, presented by. Delta Airlines, keep climbing. BYU Sports Nation continues with your friendly daily reminder. The show available anytime on demand via the BYU TV and BYU radio apps.
2: And you can download the podcast. Just Google BYU Sports Nation podcast and you can subscribe, rate, and review.
1: We now bring on Top 5 Tuesday presented by Delta. Keep climbing in some of BYU's most iconic games have come when it featured two legends on the same court, field, playing surface. Today, we honor those games and those players in our top five legendary matchups.
2: And before we get to the top five, we have an honorable mention that should be mentioned. So, 1983, BYU is number one in the country at one point. Wally Joyner's on that team. BYU goes to the NCAA tournament. They play a game against Arizona State. The Cougars up 8-0, Wally Joyner and Homered. well... Arizona State had a player that single-doubled and homered in that game. His name was Barry Bonds. Wow. Yeah, so that's an honorable mention. That's not even in the top five, so let's go to the top five.
1: <laughs> All right, at number five, we kick off our list with a legendary matchup in 2009. Harvey Unga against Bobby Wagner of Utah State.
2: He's my guy now.
1: Unga yeah. ran for 118 yards and a touchdown against the Utah State Aggies. BYU won the game, but Wagner also had a game himself. 12 tackles, forced fumble. Unga went on to break the career rushing record at BYU before Jamal Williams took it over. And Wagner went 47th overall in the 2012 NFL Draft. He's a bona fide NFL star now in Seattle.
2: I have a Bobby Wagner Seahawks jersey, so let's go. And number four, freshman Jimmer Fredette versus sophomore James Harden. 2008 in Glendale. Fredette had 16 points, four assists, but the story was James Harden. 30 points on 21 of 30 free throws. That was more than BYU attempted. Six rebounds, six assists. Charles Will makes a shot at the buzzer, or does he? Arizona State wins the game 76-75. A lot of Cougar fans still upset about this one. And BYU fouled James Harden. He got two free throws. He made them. BYU had a chance to win the game. Here's JT. Abu puts it in, and it goes in. So much controversy about this play. BYU thought they won. It was reviewed, and they determined that it did not count. The rule book says that that shot should have gone in.
1: This is before James Harden traveled on 40% of his possessions. (laughs) We return to the gridiron for number three to feature a game that was iconic in and of itself, showcasing two amazing running backs, Jamal Williams and Kareem Hunt, two NFL guys. Jamal's best career game, 286 yards, five touchdowns. Kareem Hunt was great as well, but he wasn't as good as Jamal. Jamal Cougars taking it 55-53. 50
2: number two, Jimmer Fredette versus Kawhi Leonard, twenty eleven in the Marriott Center. Top 10 matchup. Leonard at 22-15. and 15. Good, right? Fredette had 43 points. Kevin Durant tweeted, Jimmer Fredette's the greatest score in the world. <laughs> BYU won the game. And at
1: number one, legendary matchup at BYU featuring Ty Detmer and Marshall Falk. Listen to these stats. Falk had 118 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. He also had 116 receiving yards for another two touchdowns. Falk accounted for 234 total and four TDs. Demmer wouldn't go quietly down big. He led the Coors to an incredible comeback, 599 passing yards, six touchdown passes. And it's worth mentioning that Ty ran for four yards, putting him over 600 total yards in the game, Jerem. Nice. That game ended in a tie. Fittingly, but BYU won the Western Athletic Conference and went to the Holiday Bowl because of that. Awesome. Our lead voice of the day, presented by Sundance Mountain Resort, what are your reactions to Coach Anonymous and his words on BYU football? At uh, Cosmo De Cougar says, I got three words for all of this. Any given Saturday. True that. Let's go. Let's go. Today's rise and shadowed a combined effort. It goes to Chad Lewis, former BYU tight end, who tweeted out a picture of, him and his former Pro Bowl teammates with the Philadelphia Eagles. He said, "This is my family. They're my brothers. They are black, and their lives matter. We can do so much more to end racism and brutality of any kind by loving our brothers and sisters. We are children of a loving Father in heaven. Love that.
2: Amen. Sorry to Dennis Pitta. No time.
1: For Jeremiah Spencer. Thanks to Wyatt Lowell and a shout out to Dennis Simmons. We'll see you tomorrow on BYU Sports Nation. Go Cougs.
0: I don't think I've. Do.